America is an amazing country filled with wonderful people who do incredible things. But too often, the media and liberal politicians ignore big parts of our nation and the people who make it work. So I'm speaking with leaders and policymakers who deal with real problems every day. I'm Ronna McDaniel, and this is Real America. Today, I'm going to be speaking with Congresswoman Elise Stefanik from New York. We're going to cover issues facing real Americans outside the bubble, from parents' role in education to rising inflation and Biden's turkey tax. So I'm so excited to be with my good friend, Elise Stefanik, on my podcast. Welcome. I'm excited to be here, Rana. I know. It's, we've been we've done this a couple times, but this is a very special time because now you're a new mom. And I want to hear all about Samuel and how that's going. Well, today is Sam's two-month birthday. Happy birthday, Sam. I know. Two Happy months. Birthday. That's a big milestone. Yes. And he has grown so much. Um, it has been life-changing becoming a mom, Rana. And uh, just I think back, two months seems like a long time, but also it seems like it flew by as well. He is growing. He is healthy. He is happy. He smiles. Uh, when he hears my voice, he smiles and just lights up, which of course makes me light up every day. Oh, and that's so wonderful. Yeah, it's wonderful. My husband is just an amazing dad. Uh, it's my parents' first grandchild, so he is just the apple of their eye. They are. Have so they picked excited. out their grandparent names? Uh, they they have. My dad is Papa Deuce. Oh, okay, which is unique. And I like my that. Mom is Grandma Mel. Grandma Mel. Okay. Yeah, my so mom did not want to be called Grandma, so I was the. My kids were the first grandchildren, and so it's Mimi. But it's Mimi. It, Grandma Mel. We'll see if she updates it, but that's what it is. I like for that. Now. Yeah. And Papa Deuce. Papa Deuce. Yeah. Yes. That's great. And um, is he sleeping through the night? Is he? He is actually a pretty consistent sleeper. He wakes up at around 1230, like last night. We were up at 1230 to 130. Um, but then he goes back to sleep and we're very, very lucky. He has been... He likes his routines. He loves his walks outside. He loves classical music in really? the morning. Oh, wow. Yes. He loves to, when I read to him, um, I'm dressing up as an elephant for Halloween, or he is dressing up as an elephant. Um, so oh, that's perfect. We're very excited. That is a perfect uh, costume. The GOP approves of his elephant costume. Yes. Well, I'm so happy for you. And I love being a mom. It does go so fast. Somebody said to me once, you know, you give that advice. The days are long, but the years are short. And I just put my daughter in college this year. So enjoy every minute and congratulations. That's what every parent has told me, virtually every parent. And I already feel that with two months that have gone by. I know. It has flown by. Uh, Sam was born nine pounds, three ounces already. He's so much bigger. Um, he has the the cute chubby when they're two to three months old. So it's a really, really fun time. And I rush, rush home every day uh, to see him. And what a great example he has in a mom like you. And I'm going to talk a little bit about your history. Um, we've known each other for a long time, but you were the youngest woman ever elected to Congress when you were elected. Uh, but you came through it from a diff bunch of different routes. And I want to talk about your family business that your parents had selling plywood. You worked in that in that store sometimes. Um, what has it been like to navigate Congress as the youngest member now to being a mom, understanding that business perspective? Tell me about your experience so far. Sure. So I don't come from a political family traditionally. Yeah. Uh, 
neither of my parents, they of course voted and were civically engaged and saw the impact of policies on their business, but they were not candidates or had never run for office before. So, so did they think you were crazy when you did it or well, were they? My parents are very supportive. They okay. raised me to, you know, think the sky is the limit and always encouraged me no matter what I wanted to pursue. And I was really engaged in student council growing up. I got involved in politics in college and they were very, very encouraging. So while I think um, other people maybe thought I was a little crazy when I was 28, 29, thinking about running for Congress, my parents were very, very supportive and I feel very blessed. And I think about that a lot as I've become a mom, just wanting to instill that unconditional love, but also encouragement that you can achieve anything that you can imagine in this country. Uh, and that's unique in the United States of America. And that's frankly what we're fighting for as Republicans. But growing up in my family's small business, I remember when I was seven years old when they started this business, okay. just how much work yep. goes into it. It is 24-7. When you're a small business owner, the buck stops with you. And you have to make sure the trucks are on the road every day, uh, make sure that you have the employees who are able to service the customers. You know, you're dealing with right now supply chain issues. Yeah, I was going to say, so for you, it's not just you're here in D.C. governing abstractly. You are talking to your family and you're hearing about it in real time. Absolutely. And about I'm, what they're what they're dealing with, with supply chain and the labor issues. Absolutely. And I talk to small businesses and manufacturers across my district. And um, I really relate to them because I grew up in that type of environment. And I think that has served me well in Congress because it instilled a work ethic. Mm -hmm. It also instilled the value of customer service, which is constituent services. Yeah. We are serving our constituents every single day and we want to give them the best service possible. Uh, but also understanding how policies impact real people's lives. Yeah. They impact their livelihood. They impact the ability for these businesses to grow. And I think a lot about the responsibility when you are a business owner. As I said, the buck stops with you. Here we have President Joe Biden, who was always trying to pass the buck <laughs> and not take accountability for the crises that we're facing as a country. And that's irresponsible and that's unacceptable when you're the leader of the free world. I, I say this all the time. He was an MIA candidate. We didn't see him. The media gave him a pass. And now he's been a CYA president. He never takes responsibility. And when you talk about your parents' small business and small businesses across the country and Thanksgiving coming up, the policies that the Biden administration has put forward are, are costing the American people more. And why is that, right? Because they paid people to stay out of the workforce. Right. So businesses like your parents had to pay people more to come work, and that cost had to be put on to the customer. On top of that, we have a supply chain issue because less people are working. So everything's costing more right before the holidays. I mean, think about the people in your district right now. They're going to have to pay more to get home to see their family. Mm -hmm. Gas is 42% higher. And then... Let's this talk about Turkey. Thanksgiving. Yes, this will be the most expensive Thanksgiving in United States history. The cost of turkeys have skyrocketed. This is essentially Joe Biden's turkey tax yeah. on every American because inflation is just that. It's a tax on every working family. And the people that it hurts the most are the hardworking people, people who are on limited income, where it hurts their family's budget when they have to pay more at the pump. It hurts their family's budget when they have to pay more to put Thanksgiving meal 
you know, a turkey on the table. So the policies that we're seeing from Joe Biden have real impacts on people's lives. And I think what's really frustrating is, of course, the media covered Joe Biden talking about being bipartisan when he gave his inaugural address. This has been the least bipartisan administration that we've ever seen. It has been uh, an administration that has been controlled by the far left. They've passed trillions and trillions of spending. And this is while we're discussing over $5.5 trillion in this new tax and spending package, which Republicans are united in opposition against. But to put more money, uh, print more money, essentially, as we're facing inflation, that's only going to cause the inflation cause more inflation to skyrocket. Everything they're doing is counterintuitive. It Correct. really is counterintuitive to the economy. And I think about those families who are on fixed incomes all the time. And when you're uh, you're filling up your, your gas tank at $33 uh, months ago, and now it's $60, yep. that is a huge burden on these families. And everything that the Democrats are doing are hurting average Americans right now. And they're putting this boondoggle in place. And now we're going to have a Thanksgiving that costs more coming out of a pandemic where many of us couldn't have been with our families Absolutely. last year. Absolutely. And we're going to have a winter that's more costly. Mm -hmm. uh, in the Democrats' bill, there is a heat your home tax. So on average, the American families, and particularly in my district where it's very cold, same, yep, like Michigan, same with Michigan, people are going to be paying a lot more for their energy costs. And again, it hurts seniors. It hurts lower income families the most. Uh, so we are going to continue to oppose this bill. We'll see if the Democrats get it together and are are able to unify. They're very much in disarray uh, right now. But we need to make sure the American people understand the impacts of these socialist policies that they're trying to jam through. It's so true. And I, correlating these policies with people's everyday lives is our job as Republicans. Uh, so we talked about how your family business impact, impacted you in becoming a legislator. But how has a mom impacted you already as you're watching Democrats double down on parents shouldn't have a say in their kids' education. I know you're not there yet. Thank goodness. But I think about it. But do you think about that? Absolutely. I mean, are you watching this unfold as a new mom and think this is just crazy that they're pushing parents out of any say in their kids' classroom or their education? I've already realized that becoming a mom has made me a better congresswoman. And the issue of education, first of all, it's close to my heart. I had an amazing experience. My parents always prioritize my brother and my education. Uh, my parents actually moved me into an independent uh, all-girls school in the middle of fourth grade. So okay. I transferred in the middle of the year. And I really credit their uh, instilling educational values, wanting to give me the best opportunity out there, um, and making sure that they were high academic standards. And that, of course, um, led me to the opportunities and the ability to serve today. I was the first member in my immediate family to graduate from college. I graduated from Harvard, one of the few Republicans yep. <laughs> to graduate. And I'm going to talk about that a little bit, sure. too, because, I mean, that is amazing that you went to Harvard and came to Congress, but your parents did really value education. They did. And I think about that with Sam and what I'm seeing in states like Virginia, we're seeing this really across the country, is these uh, bureaucrats or whether it's at the state level or seeing school boards not wanting to allow parents a role in their kids' education. First of all, that is outrageous. And it's why we need to make sure voters turn out to vote to defeat Democrats in this governor's race in Virginia. Uh, but also parents legally have a right 
relate to uh, to this. We passed when the Republicans were in the majority uh, in the K through 12 education bill. It is required by law that school districts have parental engagement hmm. plans that parents are able to weigh in on curriculum. Uh, right now, what we're seeing in Virginia, where parents have to sign a non-disclosure agreement if they review the curriculum, that is illegal. I think that's crazy. It's, that, it's crazy. Say illegal. that again. Parents in Virginia have to sign a non-disclosure agreement if they review their curriculum. Correct. In certain school districts. That is insane. That is illegal. It should be challenged in the courts. Republicans are going to stand up for parental rights and the important parental role in their kids' education. And as someone, in my experience, education was so important to me. I already think about that when it comes to my son, Sam. I want to make sure that, uh, first of all, I will be an engaged parent in his yeah. education uh, because I want to make sure he has the best education and opportunities out there, like any parent does. But making sure schools remember that they're not serving the unions. They're not serving you know, the principals. They're not serving the superintendents. They are serving the students and the families. I, I do Great. Putting students first is the most important part of education. I also think coming out of this pandemic, so many parents, and I know I was in this situation, we were figuring it all out, getting our kids on Zoom, figuring it out. I think the teachers really did a great job too. Mm -hmm. But for politicians to get in, the, in between the relationship of parents with the teachers, parents with the students, parents with the school, and decide... Um, uh, on the you know the the behalf of the unions, I think it's really shameful and not recognizing we're the taxpayer, right? Absolutely. When you talked about customer service earlier, we're the client, right? We're the customer. We're the ones who you need to be thinking about, and our kids are the ultimate customer. And if they don't get the education they deserve, you better believe parents are going to be having a voice in that. Yes. And I was very specific for a reason. I think the teachers have done an amazing job. Yeah. We see that in my district. Um, they really stepped up in huge ways, facing unprecedented challenges. But the unions oftentimes don't even represent the teachers mm -mm. very effectively. In New York State, where we have one of the most powerful teachers unions in the country, uh, they were the ones advocating for schools shut down. Teachers will tell you that they were not able to effectively teach students that way. And they've seen... Uh, the academic challenges that kids are facing now um, and the deficit in terms of what they were unable to learn in that remote setting. And I give credit to the teachers and the superintendents in my district who really focused on maintaining in-person learning to serve their students, to it, serve the it's taxpayers so necessary and the customers. Because my kids didn't have that and you see the deficit. Yeah. I, and I, my kids are brilliant, but you see what happened with a year or a year and a half of not learning. So I love that you're a mom because I think it is going to bring that voice um, to Congress. But you fought for women in Congress for a long time. One, I, I love pointing out that you're from a district where women's suffrage really began, yes. right? Elizabeth yes. Cady Stanton was born in your district. Yes. We are, I like to consider my district the home of women's suffrage. And these were Republican women, which is so important to make sure that the American people understand that and know that. Elizabeth Cady Stanton is from my district. We were able to honor the centennial of yep. women's right to vote in my district. We passed uh, a coin bill I to commemorate that. Yep. that with Marsha Blackburn, uh, a former Republican House member, now Republican senator. Um, and that was really important for for my district and important for women in the Republican Party to really stand strong that we have fought for women's rights. And I um, that has also helped shape my initiative to elect more Republican women in the House. So here you are, part of that district where women's suffrage was founded, and now you're the head of the GOP conference. You're the GOP conference chair. But before that, 
you were very involved in recruiting women. And I know that you and I talked about this early on in 2018. It was a, it was a sad time for Republican women. Yeah. And you did something about it. Talk about EPAC and what that did to help women candidates get elected in 2020 and the results of that. Well, in the 2018 midterms, uh, this was when Democrats unfortunately won back the House Mm -hmm. and they elected a number of Democrat women. And of course, they got glossy media coverage, magazine covers, Rolling Stone. Um, Republicans had lost a number of our very uh, effective women legislators. We were down to only 13 women in the House. And I made it a mission to recruit, support, and elect Republican women. And 2020, while we were disappointed at the presidential level, one of the shining success stories of the election cycle, it was the year of the Republican woman. It really was. Because there was the highest number of Republican women ever elected to Congress. So we were down to 13. Our goal was was, you know, let's try to get over 20 because we have a long way to go. We elected over 30 Republican women in the House, the highest ever. And the momentum is building as we're heading into this next election cycle, which there's so much energy with the Republican voters, but independent voters and even Democrats who feel that the Biden administration is just failing and causing crises in this country. We are seeing women step up. The highest number of women have filed to run as Republicans for Congress ever, even more than last cycle. Um, And I'm excited to support them and help us win back the majority. But I think what you did is so important with EPAC because I did this as Michigan chair and we saw this, women would get into races um, to run and then they'd be, they wouldn't have the funding Mm -hmm. to get through to the primary. And you got involved in the primary and started picking women and helped fund them and give them the financing. And I always talk about this. When I took over as Michigan chair, I had been a stay-at-home mom. I wasn't in the boardroom. I wasn't on the golf course. It wasn't easy to go and ask my my fellow golf buddy for money. So we need to network a little differently sometimes. And having women supporting women, which you did, made a huge difference in getting the largest number of women ever elected to Congress in 2020. And you're going to continue to do that heading into 2022. Yes. So we invested early and I get hear from lots of women across the country. And of course, I encourage them to run. We don't just support women because they're women. We support them because they're the best candidates. And we have a very specific uh, set of metrics that they have to meet. They have to show that they're going to be the strongest candidate in the race. They have to show that they're able to fundraise. They have to show that they have a message that can win and a strategy. And these women did it. And, And they are some of the most effective new members. If you think of Ashley Hinson from Iowa, who's an amazing communicator. She's a former news anchor. She's a mom of two yep. boys. If you think of Marionette Miller-Meeks, also from Iowa, veteran, veteran. Uh, yep. has a medical background. Nicole Maliotakis, who flipped a district in New York in yep. Staten Island. Um, she's Cuban-American. Cuban and Greek. And Greek-American. Maria Elvira Salazar in Florida. Young Kim, one of the first Korean-American women in California. Yep. Just amazing. Michelle Steele. I mean, the list Steele. goes on. And Stephanie Bice. I mean, yes. you go through the list, Nancy Mace. They're super They're all superstars. And I think that investment made a difference. And it is the year of women. And I think this is the election of women. And when you talk about being a new mom and what's happening in the schools and the amount of people going and running for school boards right now, it is that election. I do want to point out a couple of things, though. We did have a record number of Republican women elected, and we saw the media gloss that over because we're conservative. You just were attacked by a local TV station for being a mom, right, and saying that you can't do your job, and you hit back. I was so proud of you that you pushed back. How did that feel to be attacked in this day and age? And and 
did the Democrats come to your defense at oh, all? Oh no, of course they yeah. didn't. I so this is not the first time I've been attacked, Rana. I yeah. was attacked when I first ran because Democrats don't want to. Uh, they don't think I should exist. I'm from New York. I'm a strong conservative. I'm a young woman, and they thought I should be a Democrat. And I'm a proud Republican. So I've been attacked from the beginning. I was attacked during the impeachment hearings, really at a national level, when there was just a historic amount of uh, funding from across the country and Hollywood, in particular, supporting my Democrat opponent. Uh, I was attacked by a local media station um, saying that, really questioning my ability to do my job. And I'll tell you, I have been juggling like every working mom. Three days after I was home from the hospital with Sam, I had a 15-hour markup on the House Armed Services Committee to pass the defense bill. I had a number of my amendments that were uh, delivered and passed, and they will be signed into law to help my district. So I've been able to juggle that. And we called the media out, and I think Republicans need to call the media out when they're being biased. Imagine if that type of piece ran against a Democrat female. That would have made national news. The uh, reporters would have been oh, fired. Yeah. Oh, it yeah. would have been, you know, an outrage and everyone would have had it's to a total diff- double swept standard under the rug. And how you're treated. The other thing that we happened did get to an you- apology from them because <laughs> because we called them out. But you do call them out. And I think your voice, if, if anybody follows Twitter, you've got to follow Elise because she pushes back. And I like that you do that because mm-hmm. we need to do that as conservative women. You did it against Harvard. You went to Harvard. Harvard removed you from the advisory board. And you pushed back. You were you were one of the first victims of this cancel culture wokeness, a university basically saying we cannot have diversity of thought or opinion or party affiliation. How upset were you when that happened? I mean, was that just a low point? Well, I'm upset because it impacts the students. I yeah. want to make sure the students have a diversity of viewpoints. That's what college and education is about, critical thinking and having diversity of opinions and being able to debate. And that's how I was able to hone my views as an undergraduate. And believe me, I was outnumbered by the liberals on college campuses. I can't even imagine going to Harvard and, and being a, a conservative. Ch- it has a chilling effect too, Rana. We heard from a number of conservative students who feel that they definitely can't speak out, uh, whether it's in organizations like the Institute of politics, which I was on the board of, or even to their professors and in their classrooms, that is going to hurt our, um, you know, our our intellectual development in this country, frankly, and yeah. the creative thinking and critical thinking. The, the way that happened was there was a petition, as oftentimes these start. It was a couple hundred, which is not representative of the entire student no. body. Some of the professors signed the petition, and I was removed from the board. The hypocrisy, however, is there have been Democrat members of Congress who were, were who were allowed to stay on the board, and they voted to object to electoral college uh, during the count in Congress when there were Republican presidents. So right now, the Institute of Politics at Harvard is made up 100% of Joe Biden voters. Um, It purports to be a bipartisan organization. It is no longer that. And again, that hurts the students. Um, I was not going to be bullied to resign. They wanted me to resign. I said, I will have to be publicly removed and we're going to expose this for what it is. And I think they're are real questions that need to be asked about federal funds for our higher ed institutions in this country who do not protect um, our freedom of speech, freedom of assembly, diversity of thought. I don't think they should be able to access federal funds. I 
am so on board with you on that. And I think it, it, it this correlates. You know, we talk from you being a mom, then we talk about what's happening with the school boards, with the unions, and up to higher education, really shutting out diversity and create, streamlining one methodology of thought. And it is not good for our country. No. You know what? Difference of opinion is a good thing. Let the kids decide. They're smart enough. Teach them how to think, not what to think. Um, Kim Reynolds said that. I love that line. I think that's so true. Um, now you're in the GOP conference chair. You've taken on that role. You're a leader in our party. Tell me about 2022 and what's looming ahead and what are your goals in this role? Well, the stakes have never been higher. I ran for the GOP conference chair position because it was clear we needed a unifying message to help drive the narrative and get our message out to voters. The, we also need to expose all of the crises that Joe Biden and House Democrats have created. We have the border crisis, which is the worst it's been in my lifetime. September had the highest number of illegal border crossings on our southern border in our nation's history. And yet we have a president who not only refuses to go to the border and hasn't been to the border, um, he refuses to make any investment when it comes to border security. This trillion dollar bill they're trying to pass has zero dollars for border security exactly. and border patrol. We have the economic crisis. Not only are we facing skyrocketing inflation, we talked about the cost of Thanksgiving dinner and turkeys rising, the cost of gas at the pump going up, but we're also talking about the largest tax and the largest spending bill in our nation's history. That's going to be something that generations of Americans will have to pay for. And that's, of course, in addition to the far-left socialist policies and new programs, government-controlled programs that are going to be very difficult to unravel if Democrats are successful in this. We have the national security crises yep. that Joe Biden has created. The and you know this, sitting on the Intelligence Committee and the Armed Services Committee, I mean, with Afghanistan, with everything. Yes, I represent... Fort Drum, which is home to the 10th Mountain Division, the most deployed unit in the U.S. Army since 9-11. I've visited soldiers many times in Afghanistan who have been deployed from my district. Uh, soldiers from my district have lost their lives. They've lost their limbs serving uh, this country in Afghanistan. And to see the absolute catastrophe and failure and leaving Americans behind enemy lines from this administration, it is uh, it should outrage every American. It has been a very difficult time for our veterans to see this yeah. happen. Uh, and I want to encourage all of our vets to reach out to resources. Uh, if they need help, we are constantly focused on that in my uh, offices in my district. But these are crises that Joe Biden has created. It is incompetent leadership. And we need to win back the House to save this country, uh, to make sure that we are standing up for the Constitution, to stand up for hardworking Americans. And we feel good going into next year's election, but we're not taking it for granted. No. And we need to make sure our voters are energized. And one issue I hear from voters about is election integrity mm -hmm. in my district and making sure that we have secure elections and we're investing in those election integrity measures that are so, so important. I think, you know, I hear this a lot too, the election integrity. And the one thing I would say to anybody is uh, your vote definitely won't count if you don't go cast it. Mm -hmm. And I've heard this from people saying, I don't know if I, I want to get involved because is, is it going to be fair? One, we're in already 27 lawsuits protecting election integrity at the RNC, uh, along with the NRCC and the NRSC. We've changed laws across the country. You talk about the women that were elected in 2020. We also picked up 135 state legislative seats and Which put three so chambers. And laws are being changed that will not allow Democrats to do what they did under the guise of COVID. 
and people need to be very aware of that. But you have to get out and vote. Nothing can change if you don't vote. What is your message, um, not just of why we shouldn't vote for Democrats, but what would you say is the reason that Republicans should take charge again of the House? You know, we had the contract for America that Newt Gingrich put forward when we historically took back the House under Clinton. What is the message right now from House leadership as to this is what we're going to do if we are lucky enough to take back the speakership and have the chance to govern? Well, we are going to have an agenda that every American is going to be made aware of. And we have already introduced legislation. We are going to secure the border. Number one, we have bills that have been introduced, whether it's funding for border patrol officers, increasing the number of border patrol officers, build the wall, and really hold this administration accountable for many of their illegal acts. We're going to focus on economic growth and job creation and economic opportunity in this country. That means cutting taxes, not raising taxes. Mm-hmm. That means balancing the budget, not having these trillions and trillions of dollars that are, again, our next generations are going to have to pay for. We're also going to stand strong and demand accountability when it comes to COVID in investigating the origins of COVID. Yes. Democrats refuse to ask that question. Republicans are already working when it comes to our oversight capacity in getting to the bottom of this, because we know more and more evidence is pointing to the origins in a lab uh, in Wuhan, which President Trump was right about. Even he was he totally was right. Smeared by the media. We're going to stand up for education in this country and not allow this critical race theory, far left agenda, ruin our education system. And central to education is the parental rights and parental role when it comes to educational development and curriculum mm-hmm. development. That is important. And then, of course, we're going to stand for strong national security, which is the opposite that we have seen from Joe Biden. But we have an agenda we're going to spend next year uh, making sure that every American is made aware of it. And um, part of that is also talking about how Joe Biden has failed. He has earned an F across the board on every issue, on virtually every promise he made uh, when he was running. Promise to be bipartisan? Yeah, not that, I think that's the biggest thing. People thought he was going to come in and work across the aisle. He's been uh, captured by the progressive left wing of his party. Yes. And it is socialism. And it is frightening for our country right now to see so many things under crisis under Joe Biden and him hiding out and not taking questions. Could you imagine? I can't imagine. If President Trump did that, <laughs> if he hid out. I mean, he took more questions than anybody. It's just crazy. There's a lot of issues when I say, if President Trump ever did that, there would be a massive media outcry. And a lot of what Joe Biden does just gets brushed under the rug. I mean, he struggled to get through that town hall he had with Anderson Cooper, literally struggled to get through it intellectually and physically. Yeah, it's but he's responsible and the buck Absolutely. does stop with him. And so he doesn't get a free pass. Right. Because he's he's making these decisions and it's harming our country and he's choosing not to face the American people in the eye. And you know what? Republicans are going to look the American people in the eye and talk about the things that we're going to do to make their lives better as we're coming out of this disaster of the Biden administration. And that's why you are so the right person to be in charge. I'm so excited heading into this. You've done such amazing things since you've been in Congress, not just in the 2020 election, but now in 2022 in this leadership role. Uh, 
Is there something you love the most about serving? Is there one thing that you really enjoy about being in Congress? My favorite part of being in Congress is just meeting constituents in my district who are doing extraordinary things every single day, but maybe they're not in the media and I get to learn about it and yeah. I get to bring their views or I get to represent them in Congress. I think about um, one of the most amazing events I participated in my district was uh, the last surviving Mohawk code talker who served in World War II, uh, Levi Oaks. He was from my district. I met him uh, a few times, and um, he has since passed away. But just to learn about these extraordinary Americans, and people really didn't know uh, until he started winning all these medals and recognition, the Congressional Medal, Gold Medal. He won recognition in Canada oh as well. And um, we didn't really know that for decades before. So these stories are amazing, and, and I get to meet these people as a member of Congress. But most importantly, I get to stand up for them every single day. Well, I think that's amazing. And I just think you're great. I'm so excited for you. Congratulations again on being a new mom. I hope we have a lot of more things to celebrate in the next year. Mainly, let's just win back the house. Yes, we have to win back the house to save America. We do. Thanks, Elise. Thank Thanks you, for being, joining me on my podcast. Yeah. I'm Ronna McDaniel, and this is what Republicans stand for. Join us next time on Real America. Paid for by the Republican National Committee. Not authorized by any candidate or candidate's committee. www.gop.com.